Well, it's been my pleasure to share some thoughts with you around uh, how we can be preparing ourselves for our, our new senior pastor when he comes. Tonight, I want to finish up those thoughts, that look, with encouraging you to pray for our pastor, starting even now, but even more when he comes on the field. Pray for our pastor. Pray that God will encourage him and strengthen him because he will suffer because he's our pastor. Now, obviously, as Bethany has experienced and so many others have experienced, suffering is not something that comes exclusively to pastors, not in any way or mean I have those I love dearly who have suffered perhaps a multiplier of a thousand more than I have ever, ever suffered as a pastor. I'm not saying that a pastor suffers more intensely than anyone else. These truths that I share tonight, these principles are true for anyone who follows Jesus and can translate easily into others, other believers' suffering. But I will say that the truths that I share tonight are particularly true for a good pastor, a pastor who shares the heart of Jesus. That pastor will suffer uniquely simply because he is a pastor of a congregation and he has a shepherd's heart. So I want you to pray that this suffering will bring forth the fruit that God has intended for it to bring about. We need to pray that he will not long remain discouraged, but that God will lift him up and it will bring forth the fruit that He intends. We don't want Him to feel like when He suffers, that it's something unique to Him. But it is a part of the role that God has so chosen for Him to play. Our text this evening is 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3-11. through 2 Corinthians chapter 1, Verses 3 through 11. Please turn with me in your Bible. As you're turning, let me set the stage for you. There's mutiny afoot in Corinth. In Paul's absence, there have been false teachers who have come in to fill the void, and they've been trying to mislead the Corinthian congregation. False teachers leading them away. And there's one thing that stands between the Corinthian church and these wolves. And that's the Apostle Paul. So, these false teachers know that they need to get Paul out of the way. And so they start trying to discredit him and his ministry. Some in the church were beginning to believe the lies that these false teachers had shared and told them about the Apostle Paul, that he really didn't care about them, and, and that is, he wasn't really an apostle. And it was breaking his heart. Paul had given his life for this congregation. He had poured so much of himself 
into them. And there is not a pastor who has been a pastor any length of time who doesn't know something about what he was feeling because that is a part of the job. But one of the ways these false teachers sought to discredit him was to point out to the Corinthians just how much he was suffering. And they interpreted his suffering that God was displeased with him and that God was punishing him some way because of his ministry or because of his doctrine or because his heart wasn't where it should be. Surely, nobody that God loves would he, would he allow and bring suffering to in the kind of measure that he was bringing to the Apostle Paul. So Paul, right off the bat in this 2 Corinthian book, verse 3 of the whole book addresses that and he says, God is not punishing me. No, God is the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. God is comforting me, Paul says. He says, I'm not suffering God's wrath. No, indeed, this suffering that I experience is validation or evidence of my call to be an apostle. That kind of sounds strange to our ears, does it not? Suffering and, and blessing, suffering and position. We live in a time when people feel like it's their God-given right to escape all kinds of suffering. And it's just not true. It's not God's way. Paul didn't think that way. Rather, he knew that there was design. And there was purpose in the suffering that he experienced. He suffered for the Corinthians' sake. It was for them that he suffered. And in like manner, our new senior pastor will suffer for our sake. And so we shouldn't think it's something that is strange that is happening but it is a part of the call. Every pastor who is truly called of God to shepherd a community of believers will suffer. John Piper said, the fabric of a pastor's life will be laced with dark threads of pain. It is the way the role was designed. That's why he needs us to pray for him. So, in our text, I'm going to give you two reasons why a pastor suffers for his flock. Two reasons. First reason, a pastor suffers in order to comfort his flock. A pastor suffers in order to comfort his flock. Let's begin reading in verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ the Father of mercies, and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction, with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. 
For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken, for we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. Do you hear what Paul says? Paul says that he suffers so that he might be able to comfort them. There's purpose behind his suffering. There's a reason why he suffers. God brings pain into a pastor's life so that he can comfort his flock, his people, so that he may be equipped to comfort his people. You see, it's never about the pastor. It's not about him at all. It's all about us, his congregation, the flock. It is God bringing comfort to his people through the channel of his shepherd. Paul willingly and gladly accepts his role because he loved his people. He loved them so that he could give comfort to them and he gladly accepted the pain and affliction. He saw his suffering as a stewardship to be poured out for others. Let me show you how this works. Not in a story, not of a pastor, but a missionary. Her name was Amy Carmichael. Many of y'all are familiar with her. She was an Irish missionary to India. And for the last 20 years of her life in India, she was confined to her room, often bedridden. So in my mind, as I think through her story, I think, God, this really doesn't make sense at all. Here, this young woman gave her life, gave away, uh, uh, stayed away from her family and her friends, and she moved to a place where she knew no one. And you afflicted her in such a way? How can she accomplish the ministry that you want her, that we thought that she wanted uh, to accomplish, that you wanted her to accomplish if she's stuck in a room in a foreign land? ill and sick. God, what are you doing? How can that work? Well, I will not presume upon the will of God, but it could be that God was afflicting her so that she could comfort many others. For you see, Amy Carmichael during these 20 years wrote 20 books during this time. She would not have ever taken the time to write if she'd been able to go and to do. Listen as she writes in her book, Rose from the Briar, a book that she writes letters to those who are ill. She writes, reading about her thoughts, reading them, Reading them through, I am troubled to find them so personal and sometimes so intimate. 
It is not that I think the personal or the intimate interesting or valuable, but that I did not know how to give comfort wherewith we ourselves are also comforted without giving something of my own soul. If I had waited till the harrow had lifted, perhaps a less tired mind would have found a better way. But then the book would have been from the well to the ill, and not from the ill to the ill, which I think is what is meant to be a rose plucked straight from a briar. Amy didn't know when she wrote this book that the harrow would never lift for her. She never did get bitter. If she had waited until she was well to write, we wouldn't have the rich legacy that is left. You see, in suffering there is a fellowship, a kinship of those who suffer. It's almost like they live in another world that those who are well cannot traverse. It takes another, another sufferer who bears the authenticity that can give comfort and encouragement to those who are suffering. Our new pastor will suffer pain so that he will be equipped to comfort us in our affliction. It is a weighty matter. So a pastor suffers so that he might comfort us, but secondly, a pastor suffers to make him rely on God. A pastor suffers to make him rely upon God. In verses 8 through 10 of our text. For we do not want you to be unaware, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. Paul didn't tell us about what affliction that he faced in Asia. But I can tell you what, I can't imagine what Paul would have faced that would make him say it was beyond my comprehension, beyond my ability to endure. Because in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, later on in the book, he talks about imprisonment and countless beatings. He talks about being stoned, stoned um, rocks, not grass, right? He talks about being stoned. He, he talks about being shipwrecked. He suffered from hunger and thirst and cold. And yet this one that he's talking about here was so severe, he didn't think he was going to get out of it alive. He had despaired of life itself. It's then that God stepped in and rescued him and gave him back his life. He was taught once more to rely solely upon God and not upon his wisdom or his discernment or his abilities or his skill to get out of a situation. You see, this passage teaches us that God may bring pain into the life of his servant to teach him to rely upon him in greater measure, to trust him, have faith in him. You see, suffering teaches us to pray like nothing else teaches us to pray. 
The very definition of prayer is an admission that I am helpless to bring about the result that I want. Why would I pray if I could do it? I'd just do it. But by praying, I am saying, God, I am helpless here. I have no ability to bring about what I desire. I cannot. If you don't pray about something, you can trust that you're not really thinking that God needs to step in. I can handle it. It's just the way it is. See, a prayer is a sign of helplessness and inability. God uses suffering to teach me that I am not as much in control as I would like to think I am. When suffering comes and there is nothing you can do but turn your eyes heavenward, and ask Him to rescue you. Suffering will be a part of our new pastor's life so that he may learn to rely upon God and not trust in his own abilities. I have no doubt that our pastoral search committee will find a gifted talented, knowledgeable, charismatic man to lead our congregation who has all the abilities in the world. But God will bring suffering into his life to teach him and to remind him he can't handle it. And he can't do what he wants to do. And without suffering, we tend to forget that. You know, I've been preaching over 20 years. Been in the pastorate that long at least. And, and I know that I can do so little of lasting spiritual consequence. Sometimes it's overwhelming, like you know. There are those who have heard me preach over hundreds of times. Maybe almost thousands. And they still don't know Jesus. I have taught as clearly as I know how, as passionately as I know how, as winsomely as I know how, and they are still without Jesus. There are things that I cannot do. I long to do them, but I cannot do them. I will never turn a heart of stone into a heart of flesh. I can't. I've sat weeping with people in my office and know that I cannot take away their pain. As much as I long to, I can't take it away. Only Jesus can do that. Only Jesus has that power. So I am driven to my knees and our new pastor will be driven to his knees, crying out to Jesus and saying, you have to do it. I can't. And he will rely upon him. A pastor suffers to comfort his flock and to make him rely on God. My friends, our pastor will suffer. 
Many of us who enter the ministry are true romantics. It's just true. We are very idealistic. Not everybody, because, you know, there's a plethora of different types of people. But most of us are kind of romantic and, and, and idealists who love Jesus and we want to change the world. And so we, we have this, this, this ministry envisioned. We see in our mind's eye, we see people come to Jesus every week and every day. We see Him coming. and We see spiritual growth uh, in everybody that's coming. And, and there's an air of excitement and a sense of His presence. And the number of people that show up on a Sunday just grows and grows and grows. And, and, and He sees Himself in the middle of that. And the more deluded among us, Think that Matt Chandler listens to our sermons, right? But somewhere along the line, reality hits in everyone's life. Somewhere, reality hits. And sometimes churches don't grow. That young person that you counseled for month after month after month commits suicide. You sit with people who are suffering the pain of infidelity and abuse and you know all you can do is cry. You perform the funerals of your best friends and you have to stay strong and minister to others. You find out through the grapevine that those who you consider your strongest supporters are leaving the church and you don't even know why. And you know you're not supposed to take that personal. You know that, but there's not a one of us who didn't. He will suffer. And he will think that somehow if he were a better leader or a better preacher or a better pastor or a better counselor that these things wouldn't happen. And he'll blame himself. My friend, God uses it all to refine him. To purify him. To take the sharp edges off of him. And God himself comforts him. So that he will be better equipped to comfort us. That's the way it works. Now, please understand that this is not a sermon in any way or form or shape to get you to feel sorry for a pastor. Heavens no. Elicit any pity. Not at all. Strike that from your mind. Nothing could be further from the truth. You don't find that attitude with Paul at all, nor any true called man of God. It is an honor to serve God. It is a privilege to serve a local congregation and to shepherd a church. Because you see, we get to follow in the steps of a suffering Savior who came to this earth to lay down His life, the express purpose of laying down His life for His people. And in a small way, that's what a local shepherd does. He is called to lay down his life for his people, and there's nothing that he would rather do. That's a man after God's own 
heart. But our role in all of this stuff is to pray for Him. To lift Him up. Pray for Him because I promise you that whether it's early or late, He will know discouragement and despair. I know a lot of pastors. I mean, after you've pastored a while, you just... You have friends and you know, and there's not a one of them who does not or has not struggled with despair. It's why only one pastor in 20 who starts the ministry early in his career ends up in the ministry when he retires. There's a reason. Don't pray for him that he will not suffer Because that's a part of the role. Pray that in his suffering, God would come powerfully to him. That he would give him a sense of this presence. And lift him up and give him joy even in the pain and the tears. That he might have hope and joy. In the ministry of God's people. Whoever is the next pastor at Ethos is a privileged man. And I mean that with all of my heart. You will love him well. You will give joy to him and hope. I pray that we give him our prayers as well. Let's pray.